Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal making, value creation, and exits across private equity, credit, and venture capital. In this fourth episode, Raúl Goslinga, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder at Pula, and Tukumbo Ismael, Chair of the AFCA Board and Co-Founder and Managing Director at Alithia Capital, discuss how to effectively mobilize greater gender diversity and inclusiveness in African private equity. This spotlight on gender inclusiveness was recorded at the 16th Annual AFCA Conference in Nairobi in April 2019. Ameya Upadhyay, Principal at Floris Ventures, share some introductory remarks to this spotlight session. In the context of private equity and venture capital investments, we face a persistent gender gap at many levels. We find that women are underrepresented in investment houses, in the boardrooms and leadership teams of companies they invest in, and in the customer bases of those companies. A report in 2016 said that only 9% of technology startups in Africa were led by women. But again, to be clear, this is not an Africa problem, it's a global issue. It's estimated that only 2% of all venture capital flows to companies that are led by women. My name is Amay Upadhyay, and I work as Africa lead for an investment firm called Flourish. And our mission is to back entrepreneurs whose innovations help people achieve financial health and prosperity. And we believe that a gender-sensitive lens in investing is not a moral obligation. It's an imperative for a successful, fair, and inclusive investing system. And we've been doing our own humble bit to further dialogues in search of solutions, understanding this is a complex issue. Which brings me to the panel today. I'm aware of the irony that I, being a man, am introducing this panel, <laughs> but we'll set that right. I have here. It's not, it's not an irony, actually. There's he and she, and we do need um, everyone to see this as a problem. Thank you, Tekundo. And so I, I, I will not belabor introductions for this panel because I'm sure we will hear from them, but quick remarks. We have here two amazing and inspiring ladies, Tukunbo Ishmael, who doesn't need any introduction in this forum, apart from being the director at AFCA. She's a veteran in private equity and venture capital investing in Africa. It's the MD and co-founder of Alithia. And Rose Goslinga, who's co-founder and CEO of Pula, an insure tech based on protecting smallholder farmers that's rapidly scaled to over a million farmers in Africa already. And with that, Tukunbo, over to you. Okay, um, Rose, why don't you introduce yourself before I give some framing remarks and move into uh, Spotlight. Sure thing. Um, so my name is Rose Goslinga. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Pula, and at Pula we develop and distribute insurance products for smallholder farmers. We, Pula works in about eight countries across Africa, um, and we really develop insurance products. Both me and my co-founder have a background in agriculture and insurance, and as you may know, like you know, when I was introduced this morning to Tukumbo, I couldn't bend, I couldn't, you know, 
I really noticed her glasses, and I thought they were awesome glasses. <laughs> and the thing I always realize when I see something beautiful, I'm like, okay, well, I've never thought that way about insurance. Insurance isn't like the thing that you kind of wake up in the morning, think that you really want to buy that new pair of insurance. It's kind of a cost, it's kind of a grudge buy. And so our business really realizes that because we work with smallholder farmers for who insurance is definitely not the first thing they wake up in the morning to think that they should really need. So instead of selling insurance directly to farmers, we work and bundle insurance to products that they actually need, um, like seeds, fertilizers, and credit. Um, to give you an example, we part our first client was the world's largest seed company, and through a partnership with them, we increased the insurance penetration in Malawi from a less than around 1% to about 30% of all farmers in a six-week period last year. Um, we did that through bundling insurance together with seed and technology. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here today and tell you more about that. Welcome, Rose. Um, before I move into um, some questions, I just want to uh, frame our um, the context in which our panel will be uh, talking today and to just give you, to highlight for you um, the, the issues that we're, we're talking about and the solutions that are um, being proffered and already being executed in many places. So the first thing is that for us to recognize that a great deal of female work is done in the informal sector. So a lot of the times, um, it's, um, it's, it's not counted and a lot of it goes as unpaid work. So that's the first thing. And already, um, if you think uh, generally in terms of the economy and what we measure, if we're leaving out unpaid work, we're leaving out a considerable amount. And that's just at the um, informal um, end of the spectrum. And this is within an environment where um, over the, certainly over the last century, um, we've seen uh, an increase in participation of women in the labor force, um, but still short of where we would like it to be. We're seeing rising educational levels of women, and we're seeing, and as a consequence of that, we're seeing rising incomes um, for women and therefore their purchasing power, which is also then driving um, the wealth, not just of women, but the wealth of um, nations. However, within that context, what we still have is what many of you hear a lot about, which is the gender earnings gap. So it's not, and the gender earnings gap tends to focus on um, whether women are being paid less um, than men in the workplace. But given my first remark, it's not just a case that women are being paid less, uh, because they're not counted that some of them are not being paid at all. And this is also within the context, certainly uh, if, we, if we come to um, Africa as a continent, uh, the number of female entrepreneurs um, is a key metric here, uh, because women are creator, as, as much creators of businesses as our men. In fact, on the continent, the stats say that it's, it's nearly an even split, 50-50. But in, in spite of that even split, 50% female uh, owners uh, versus 50% male owners or entrepreneurs, um, 
there's still a challenge of capital getting to the women. Uh, less than 2% of those women on the continent actually are getting formal funding. A lot of times um, because they fall out of the formal economy, but also because a lot of times they're operating in hidden circles, maybe as small-scale older farmers, which we'll hear a, a bit more about from Rose, or they're running lifestyle businesses. In fact, the Global Entrepreneur uh, Monitor report in 2014 stated that there were 200 million businesses started by just women alone in the United States and a further 120 being run by established women. So that's about 300 million businesses and only a fraction of those are receiving uh, funding. So what we're talking about is not again, as the mayor said, um, a nice to have, but it has an impact on the economic opportunity um, for um, our nations. And I'll just close my remarks on um, a comment from the economic report of the United States president from 2015. And the, the, the quote is that essentially, all of the income gains that middle-class American families have experienced since 1970 are due to the rise in women's earnings. And that, I mean, you can, you can go and search that up. Now, if that is the case, just think about, if we bring that to the continent, how we can further fuel the growth in the middle class and the consumer um, growth that could come if we begin to count properly um, women in the boardroom, workplace, in the economy, informal and formal. So with that, I'll hand over to Rose to tell us a little bit more about Pula. Rose herself being a female entrepreneur and one of the 50% um, of uh, female entrepreneurs on the continent. And how Pula itself looks at uh, its contribution to the solutions of the issues that we're talking about. Okay. Well. I'll honestly say that like, I don't think that we do f enough when it comes to really like, tackling gender diversity. But one of the things that I've realized is that when we look at our products, um, and if you really want to target women, you have to think very carefully about how you actually reach them. So to give you an example, as Tukumbo said, you know, we don't sell insurance directly, but we bundle. So we bundle together with seed, we bundle together with fertilizer or credit. And for us to actually underwrite or to actually get your insurance information, um, we generally do this through technology, so we, we require somebody to have a mobile phone, and we require that person to be buying seed or buying fertilizer. And actually what we realized by doing that, um, we were actually not necessarily, we were not necessarily really targeting women very well. 50% of our customers are women. Um, but what we find is that if you go through different channels, you might actually, on purpose, like, unknowingly lock them out because a woman is less likely to come to a shop and buy seed. A woman is less likely to have a mobile phone. Um, at the same time, we realized that the person who was making the decision to buy a particular variety of seed or to buy the fertilizer or to make the farming decision, given that they were the ones actually working on the farm, that they were the decision makers that we needed to influence. Um, one of the things that we actually did to, um, to mitigate that is to look at you know, what are the social parts, what are the, the pieces that women do actually really appreciate. 
Um, for example, one of the most successful things we did last year was to implement a digital referral program. Like, apart from like our business bundling insurance um, with seeds and fertilizer, we run quite a heavy technology aspect around that. And we realized that one of the things that hadn't been done well in the sector and to grow like products was to really kind of think about how you digitize word of mouth. And then in particular, women would be, could be change agents if you actually thought about how to empower that they would talk, that they would come together in groups, that they could be influential leaders. Um, when we actually, and I'll give you an example of how we did this, um, we ran, we, our tech team built kind of a digital referral program. And initially, the first message that went out was earn some money, refer a friend to buy the seed that comes with insurance. The response to that message was pretty much zero. People thought we were scamming them. The second message was help your neighbor, advise them to use the seed and we'll compensate you with some airtime. That actually spoke to people's kind of altruistic perspectives. And we actually found that the response to that, particularly from women, was very high. Um, people would send us their complete mobile, uh, their complete uh, address book from their mobile phones. Like we would get farmers sending us 200 messages and particularly women actually responded very well to that. Once it had a very kind of structured way for them to respond they couldn't get it wrong. So I would say you, when, you're, when you're designing your products, you have to start from a perspective that, you know, leverage on the pieces if you're, particularly if you're looking at uh, targeting a particular target market, if you're targeting women, you know, make it easy for them to and leverage on the things that they're good at. This sounds like, you know, it doesn't sound like rocket science, but it has to be very specific and it has to be very deliberate. I also think that this comes from, like the referral idea actually didn't come from me. It came from my co-founder who's a man and who is African and who comes from very different background from me. I think particularly in our business, I found that, you know, you need diversity, not just of gender, but also diversity of background. Like if me and my co-founder had gone to the same school, had been taught from the same kind of books, we would come with the same kind of solutions. We would have never reached like a million farmers, as Amaya said. Um, we would have never convinced these, you know, we, we signed up the Nigeria's largest fertilizer company. I just came back from, like I, I appreciate that all of you had like a long flight. I came from the five, 30 Lagos flight this morning, so I'm also here. I'm also trying to be awake. <laughs> I know, hands for that, right? Um, anyway, but you know, you kind of, you have to think around, you have to come from different backgrounds. And I really try to look at that in our business as well. Like, you know, my, I'm the kind of like the creative thinker and like I, you know, like I'll start doodling. At the same time, my co-founder is a chess player and thinks a couple of steps ahead. And you need that kind of diversity in a team to make a team work and to really kind of grow. Um, at the same time, it also, it's some, for some people, it's very uncomfortable. Like my COO is extremely, you know, process oriented, whereas I want to be all over the place. The first thing you do is kind of like clash. But in the long term, what you do is you grow a business with a real kind of diversity of outcome and solutions. And so I would say, like, if you, you know, as a business, if you really want to grow sustainably, um, I was talking about this before, uh, Tukumbo was asking, you know, how much money are you raising? How much money have you raised? And I told her, for the first three years of our business, I bootstrapped the business because I wanted to keep control. I didn't want it, I didn't want to be pushed. You know, I, Amea, like, the first couple of calls I had with him, he'll be like, I, I kept telling him, no, 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 I don't need your money yet. You know, I'm not ready yet. Like, I'm, you know. And Tukuma was telling me, that's such a female founder's thing to say. You guys, you're not being aggressive enough, you know. At the same time, I would say, look, you know, when you're growing a startup, you're constantly 
you know, you're constantly aware that you're building a house of cards and pretending that it's a house of bricks. And I always find this interesting when I say this and they ask me to talk about this and they say, you know, how do you dare you say that? You know, you know, you should be building like it's, you know, it's definitely like it's the White House. It's, you know, it's the biggest house and the biggest tower and it should be that Pula Tower that you're building. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I, I think that, you know, I'm very aware of what I'm building and I'm certainly not not ambitious. I've insured like close to a million farmers. I'm not not ambitious, but I'm aware of what we're doing and where we're going. And I think that's, you know, you know, that's just who you are. And, you know, female founders are going to be different from that perspective. And if I can jump in and say that when she did say that, Amaya's face dropped. And, um, and, and it's part of the reason why we at Alithia decided to raise um, a female founder uh, focused fund, because we realized that we needed to approach um, female founders differently and be proactive in where we find um, uh, female um, entrepreneurs. And uh, you, you said something else around innovation, and I said to you, yes, we see that as gendered innovation, that you can't just use the same products and mm. to get, expect to get the best outcomes. And one of the examples that I've heard about is um, when uh, seatbelts became compulsory in the US, um, it took 20 years before, later, before auto manufacturers realized that they needed to have female dummy bodies to test these to make better seat belts. And it's the same thing. Like, how do you make better products by being inclusive of women as consumers? So when we think about this, we're thinking female founders, inclusive of women as producers, and inclusive as women as consumers for better outcomes. And with that, I'd like to turn to Amea, uh, because there's also growing evidence that talks about better decision-making and better corporate governance with diversity of perspectives. And I know that in, at Flourish, you've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Perhaps you can share some of your insights from that. Yeah, thank you, Tukundu. Um Let me first divide this into two segments, right? One is the customer basis of the portfolio companies that we've invested in, and second is the leadership teams of those portfolio companies. And if I talk about the second first, because there are lots of investors in this room, and all of us, even if we are well-intentioned, have some biases that are not even obvious to us. So I would say, first of all, we don't pretend to have easy answers to this issue, but we started with what's happening within the house. So we started with hiring right and hiring a diverse, inclusive team. So more than 50% of our investment team um, are women. And then we felt that gender neutrality in making decisions on who to invest in wasn't sufficient. You had to take a proactive stance in uh, finding female entrepreneurs and supporting them and encouraging them. And we have tried to do that in multiple different steps, like constituting the investment committee right, uh, being sensitive to how women generally make presentations, and different structural biases, right? It's, it's not easy to overcome those because we've been so hardwired. And we went through this process with Rose, as she, she was talking about. But I feel like we have traveled some distance 30% of our portfolio companies, we have a portfolio of 40 early stage fintech investments across the world, $200 million invested. 
30% of those companies have women founders. 45% of those companies have women in leadership positions. Are we satisfied with that? Hell no. Um, do we have easy answers on how to change that? Maybe not. But I think we're focusing on one very important initiative, which is to support women entrepreneurs much earlier in the funnel. We're Series A investors. We don't control what kind of companies show up on our desk. And I'm constantly frustrated that not enough women entrepreneurs um, show up in the founding team slides of the decks that land up. And so we've been trying hard to partner with technology hubs across the continent to support programs that focus specifically on overcoming the structural barriers to women entrepreneurs. And if I make a quick remark on the customers of our um, companies, we're fintech investors, so my remarks will be focused on financial services. We funded a research called Financial Diaries. A bunch of researchers looked at the household income management of multiple low-income families in Kenya, in Mexico, and in India. And you can find this report online. It's called A Buck Short. And we found some really interesting things in how women interact with money. For example, their incomes tend to be lower and more inconsistent than men, right? which might seem obvious, but it was good to confirm that. And it comes from different sources. Most of the women income come from domestic remittances or from friends and families as opposed to a job. Their networks tend to be more horizontal, meaning women in the extended family as opposed to men whose networks are more vertical. Right? They know influential people who can give them employment and so on. And their role in the household finances is stretching the budget to meet basic necessities and emergencies, while men plan more for investments and future income. Mm -hmm. And as a fintech company, as a financial service provider, and some of you may be in this room, you really have to think of women as half your market. It's, if you don't have gender-sensitive products, you're excluding half your market. So think about how your providers um, are, are pro getting more of women on your providers, making products which are more amenable to inconsistent incomes and smaller geographic spread and such things. Yeah. And that's where it matters. That's, that's, that's um, a really insightful point and very um, good contribution there. And what I would um, say to that is the, the numbers show that uh, globally women control $15 trillion. Um, I'm sure many of you <laughs> in the room, men included, a woman was involved in the decision in something you're wearing today. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact, right? And so how can you not think about how you approach that demographic and therefore um, entice them to want to buy. So with that, I want to come back to you, um, Rose, to, to, to tell us how you're thinking about the next big thing that's driving innovation on this continent. I mean, you're in eight countries. You have purview over 800,000 small-scale holder farmers. How are you thinking about driving innovation for this um, group? Okay. Um, so more and more, like insurance, more and more I learn about insurance is I know that it's extremely data heavy. And it actually, like our business over, like, over the last couple of years has become, become more and more about insurance, generating data, generating services from that data. 
and looking at how technology can, can interface with that. Now, at the same time, I grew up in Tanzania. I've lived in Africa longer than I have lived in, Europe, in Holland, where I'm originally from. And the more and more I, I work and then we grow our business, the more we see that technology alone, what we talk about, like, you know, I may I invested in a fintech company, but at the same time, I think our business, for any kind of business in the technology space to be successful in Africa, you have to think very carefully how your technology interfaces and interacts with the human. Like, to give you an example, um, like our biggest product that we run with these seed and fertilizer companies, the biggest successful factor, success factor there is how we run a agent, an op, like human team. How we are able to grow and run that team. Um, so what I would say, like what I'm most excited about, like and where I'm, where I really see the potential to grow is for technology, but that is really kind of enabled around human, like, like human agents. Like it might sound, you know, we're about to hear from the people from Mshwari, and you know, Mshwari and Mpesa wouldn't be there if there wasn't a fantastic agent network. You know, it is about that human that interact, interacts there. It's not just about an app. Like we, you know, we built cool technology in our business, but I always think that the power in, on the continent, if you want to really grow, like we work across, I was in Nigeria, we work across from like Borno State to Sokoto, like across Northern Nigeria. And it's all about, you know, how deploying technology plus deploying the human element around that. So I think, you know, if you want, the, if you're investing in businesses and, you know, you're investing in particularly in fintech, if it's just about a piece of technology, if it's just about a software engineering team, now I, I generally don't think that that's the killer. Like the killer, and like if you really want to grow your business like rapidly, like, you know, we plan to like quadruple our business again this year and I'm like, if we don't think about that human element, if we don't think around the operations around that, everything will flop, fall flat on its face. And to, um, I guess, draw a line under that, if we're thinking humans, half, roughly half humans on the planet yep. are women. So what I would implore people to think about as you invest and as you think about your strategies is to recognize women as an economic asset mm -hmm. and that if we're playing with half the team we're not going to get half the innovation that we we need we're not going to get half the economic um, opportunity and gains that we're all seeking to have and so with that I'd like to ask you all to join me in um, thanking my um, panelists here, uh, Amea and Rose, and um, I hope you were able to take away something from this um, spotlight. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.